This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. You are my sunshine, my <laughs> only sunshine. Is that one of the songs that she sang? <laughs> that, well, the Governor General's song of choice is reported to be You Are My Sunshine, according to the first written article. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't even know where yeah where it started, but it sounds like she loves they when they have guests over at Yarralumba, they say, Hey, you gotta fucking sing, man. Do your duty mm. to this country <laughs> and have a little sing. And then apparently this is an open secret and lots of people knew it. She's written songs. She wrote songs about the pandemic. And if you come and visit her, she'll write a specific song tailored to you and your your whole I- deal completely missed that part like the part that I got because okay all I saw was was it Josh Butler or who it was a journalist that tweeted a video that was like I have been sent this video of the governor Mm -hmm. general's wife singing and just like no context and she's just not not a very good singer I will say like she's just um she's doing her best singing in this room of silent people and it is fucking bizarre a celebration in the ever festival of light people in national costumes singing happy and so bright and you're like (laughs) what the fuck is happening here and then yeah it emerged like i saw so there's this pedestrian article which also has one of my favorite graphics ever where it's got the governor general and his wife uh, with like pointing the guns at you (laughs) and it says now sing. And the headline is, turns out the governor general makes his dinner guests sing You Are My Sunshine Before Meals. (laughs) Um, Apparently emerged in the Sydney Morning Herald about his family's pre-dinner rituals. According to the publication, Hurley has become known in government circles for making guests visiting government house sing to each other before meals. His song of choice is reported to be You Are My Sunshine, but sometimes the final chorus will have the words changed by his wife, Linda Hurley, with new lyrics written on the back of guest menus. So I guess that's like, you know, when you go to church and you have to sing, they give you the thing to sing. Right. Guests were alerted to the expectations of their hosts by Hurley's wife, Linda, who would announce, I believe that singing is a gift we give to one another. Journalist Nikki Sava wrote, guests were told to face the person next to them to sing the chorus. That's I heard this, yeah, like you then have to turn to the person next to you and you're like, hello, Greg, um, and sing to them. (laughs) No one had an excuse not to sing along. Hurley was punctilious about this ritual he had initiated, even though some guests sounded awkward or embarrassing. Can't imagine why. The incredible revelations come from Sava's book, Bulldoze, Scott Morrison's oh, Fall right. and Anthony Albanese's Rise. Right. I actually, yeah, that's that's right. That This came out around, is it connected with the Scott Morrison swearing himself into all these different ministries stuff? And I think it's right. like, because, you know, and the government get away with it because he, like, he's saying fucking <laughs> yeah. April Son of Cuba or something with them or like they, they had a little sing together and then they said, ah, oh, you're all right. Go go on the portfolio. You'll be fine. Yeah. So yeah. Like meanwhile, they're all just singing away. I mean, to me, like it. It's just another example, right, of why why like it is insane that we are not a fucking republic because the only reason we have a governor general is because we need someone to represent the queen, mm. and so we have these this bizarre like arcane institution. No wonder they're like sitting around at the piano room like it's fucking seventeen ninety eight. Having, the, having like the prettiest young lady in the room sing because my hasn't she a voice like 
<laughs> what do you think of her voice? Do you think she can carry a tune? I told you, I don't think it's very good. I no. I only listened once, though. I don't know. You know, maybe she was having an off day. It happens. She needed some licorice tea. Okay, well, but then it gets bizarre. I'm looking now at a video posted to the official official Governor General of Australia YouTube channel, which has 810 subscribers. And this is a song, and it's titled Her Excellency Mrs Hurley Sings About Staying Connected. Okay? No. We'll meet again when it's over. We'll hug and kiss, shake hands. We're all in this together. So let's all end our hand. Oh. We miss the human touch. We like to see our friends. Oh, God. Our families across the world will celebrate when this ends. Walking on our pathways or riding on our bikes. Exercise is helping to make us feel more bright. Take care when at the shops. Oh, my God. I can't Share okay. what's on I'm the stopping. Show. I'm stopping. I'm stopping it Mm. Now I just feel mean. Now I'm like, uh, oh, everyone's making fun of her for her weird singing thing. But I shouldn't feel mean because she's so very rich. She's so very rich. And this is presented to us to be some kind of level of comfort, I suppose. We don't I actually have so the direct queen here. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Why are the rich just so weird? <laughs> Did you ever, when I, I do remember one Christmas when I was young enough and I would go to Christmas with Christmas with my dad's family and um, I remember performing like a rendition of the Adams family with him and maybe one other kid who could sing or thought they could sing in the family mm-hmm. and, yeah, like standing in front of the whole, the, the moons and like doing, I think we were like the moon family. So who am I? Well, singing is a gift that we give each other, so it makes sense. <laughs> Talk about the Greens, that, bunny, that bunch of idiots. The Greens are nuttier than they have ever been. They are snake oil salesmen. Far more extreme than Clive Palmer or One Nation. She has described the Greens as very, very dangerous. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. <laughs> serious danger to Australia. Oh, here's the greatest gift of all, everyone. Serious Danger, a podcast about Greens politics. In Australia, I'm Tom Ballard. That is Emerald Moon from the Moon family. They're creepy and they're crawly. Um, It's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and Michael the Griff Griffin. Thanks so much for getting the show. Much obliged. This week, we're checking in on what happened in this last week of federal parliament as the Governor-General was singing his little songs, the legislation was being passed, and we're going to pick over the results, the electoral results, from last weekend's state election in the state of Greenstoria. Greenstoria, hey? Hmm. It's hmm. trending. You're hearing it more and more. <laughs> Hashtag Green Story. I haven't checked Twitter. Who knows? <laughs> Big thank you as always to new patrons who have joined the Serious Danger patron family. We release bonus content via patron, patron.com forward slash Serious Danger AU. Give it up. Shout outs to Nick, Kath, Neil. I love that's, that's not my dad. Artie, Nom, <laughs> Rowan, Paul, Jonathan, Hayden, Drake. Drake himself. Wow. I don't. That's not good. He's bad, isn't he? Oh, uh, did he do something he bad recently? Oh, boy. Uh, and James, who sponsored us with £2, two pound, which is Thank actually you, negative James. money. That's actually worth less. 
than the Patreon. It's it's written on at this point. It's all right. He'll sing for us. Yes, the greatest gift of all. Now, I was going to get a copy of my book to plug, but fuck it. The book is out. (laughs) If I can very briefly mention that, I'm Millennial was released into the world on Wednesday. Um, Thank you to the millions of Australians who have pre-ordered their copy. Millions. Yeah, big time, big time, big time, big time. Are you nominated for any awards yet? Yeah, all of them. The Nobel Prize for Literature. If you want to come and see me and Emerald in conversation and you're in Brisbane, you can totally do that. Greenslanders, Serious Danger comrades. Thank you to all the Serious Danger friends who have, um, a few came along to the book launch. And I met a few actually, actually I met Joy when I was handing out how to vote cards during the, um, on election day. And, uh, she was a big Serious Danger listener. And, uh, Aww. yes, she was delightful. Yay. So thanks for saying hello. But yeah, this Tuesday, the 6th of December at Avid Reader Bookshop in the West End, Emerald it's is now free. Into- it's now free. It was going to cost you money, but now it's free. So you absolutely have to come. Always a sign that things are going well. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you can come along buy a book. You can hear us talk for free and then uh, say hello and, and buy a book if you so wish. Um, yeah. But, yes, Emerald is very kindly helping me out there and we're going to be in conversation together. Imagine you and I talking about mm, politics. In, you and I in conversation. Well, uh, anything once, Tom. <laughs> give it a go. Would you? Would you actually? I haven't asked you this. Would you mind singing at the uh, at the book event? You have to, yeah, yeah. But isn't the idea that I show up and then you hand me a bit of paper and you're like, turn to the person next to you, being me, and sing to me, sing, Emerald, sing, bitch. And today, when this oh, episode yes. is coming out, right, mm. we are maybe as you're listening to this, but maybe if you're listening early, there's just enough time to rush over to room number one of the Greens National Conference in Brisbane and watch us do our live show if you're a Greens member. Um, I think that it's also it's streamed online, so if you can't be there in person, you can you can still watch. But, yeah, come see us in, in person and do a live show with special guest Mr. Michael Berkman, MP, who got in a lot of trouble this week for being a naughty, naughty little protest sympathiser. Uh, very excited to hear all about that. The most unethical Greens mm. MP, nay, MP, politician <laughs> in all the country. Yeah, refer to the Ethics Committee for posting. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think about the fact that our live podcast at the Greens National Conference clashes oh. with Max Chandler-Mather's session on housing? Someone messaged about this. And so, what's the other one it clashes with? Nick McKim talking about the Reserve Bank. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, yes, I wanted to make a pitch on this because I'm yeah. like, you can hear those people talk anytime. Like this is a one. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, what are they going to be saying? They're going to just be saying their little lines. They're going to be like, we are in a housing crisis. We no, need a rent no, freeze no. now. The no, treasurer, no, blah, no. blah, blah, cost of living. Like you right. know it. Boy. If you want funny jokes, if you want never before seen content, if you want <laughs> really hot, sexy people, like I'm sorry, Nick and Max. Wow. But come to, come to ours. Come to ours. school's out everyone parliament has adjourned for the year it's time to party it's time to take a holiday and the government has gone out with a bang in its final <laughs> sitting week. Is this good, Tom? What is this character? It's a good bit, I don't know, but <laughs> that's what's happening. <laughs> There's lots to, I don't, we, we really want to get to the Victorian state election, so we don't want to like get too deep 
in on the takes of all the things that happened in Parliament this week, mm. uh, but just run through kind of the big stories. So I feel like that is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Morrison being censured, the IR bill passing, the NAC bill passing. Um, that's probably it. Is anyone calling it the NAC? Are we I really calling it the NAC? Is that what's going it's on? It's the non-ICAC. Right. So first thing that seemed to, it was like first on the agenda, right, was Morrison getting it censured, which we've spoken before about what a censure motion means, right? Because I think we talked about it in the context of Lydia potentially getting censured. No, we talked about it in terms of Marine trying to get Pauline Hanson censured oh, for her bullshit racism. Oh, and right. okay. while we were very sympathetic to Marine and, and yes, very much agree that Pauline Hanson is a racist who sucks, we had some question marks over how important or meaningful a censure motion really is. Yeah, well, apparently it means a lot to Scott Morrison because he labelled it political intimidation. He Lol. was very angry about it. He's he's getting censured for his secret ministries thing, the fact that he swore himself into all of these ministries in secret during the pandemic, yep. which is still just so, um, <laughs> just like off-chain areas. The censure motion passed, right? And basically, yeah, all it means is, is Parliament goes naughty, naughty. That wasn't good and you should not have done that and we do not yes. endorse this behaviour. And that's that. It's a, yes. And the big deal is that he's the first former prime minister to be censured by the parliament, oh, which okay. just shows you how fucked the censure motion is. Like, can we censure John Howard for going to the Iraq yeah. war for fuck's sake or for children it's- overboard or anything like actually horrific and meaning that had real material consequences on some of the most vulnerable people in the entire world? Can we do that, please? No, no, no. no. I mean, this is our, to me, this is a hundred percent our like Donald Trump impeachment debate, right? <laughs> like they tried to impeach him when he was president and then they tried again afterwards. Uh, did they actually impeach? Did they do the impeachment after? Did they win? One of the houses impeached. It's so weird because like the Congress, the, the house can sense, can, can impeach, but it, then the Senate can say, well, no. So it's kind of like a half impeach, I suppose. Yeah. And I think they did. They get that while the Democrats controlled the house. Yeah. yeah. And again, it's like, yeah, Trump is really bad. Trump is obviously very bad, but like George Bush, anyone? Can we take a <laughs> can we take a minute? Like, no, we're not gonna. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, and yeah, just to fuck the like the political theater of it all, and I mean, even yeah, the political theater of like moving the censure motion. And knowing that, yeah, you will have the numbers to move this through the House now that you're the government, which is something that, you know, Morrison criticised. He's like, oh, you're being gracious. You're not being gracious winners because now that you've won and you can censure me, like instead of just graciously being like, well, we won, you're going to rub it in my face effectively, which shut the fuck up, Morrison, but still quite funny. And then there's apparently, so the Libs and Nats voted against the motion, except for Bridget Archer, who crossed the floor. And as it passed or during the vote or whatever, did they stage this dramatic walkout? And as they're walking out, they're like shaking Scott Morrison's hands and they're like, I don't, yeah. It's just extremely lame. I will say, I mean, you know, I guess it does help to expose once again, although we already know just how much of an asshole and cunt this guy is. But I I did like in his speech, he said, um, Had I been asked about these matters at the time at the numerous press conferences I held, I would have responded truthfully about the arrangements I had put in place. I was available to answer questions from the media and the opposition on all these portfolios at any time. It's basically like you didn't ask me about this thing that I didn't tell you about, which is an incredible defence. Yeah, why didn't you ask the right question? (laughs) Maybe you need to examine what's going on for you. With you. Um, But isn't that then part like that was revealed to not even be true? Like there was something that someone had tweeted that was like, well, actually he was asked about this thing. 
and he lied. So obviously he's full of shit. The What do you think about the Greens then after the censure motion moving to refer him to the Privileges Committee of Parliament? Mm. And that relates specifically, as I understand it, to fresh evidence that, that came out about him saying that he couldn't, claiming that he couldn't help the Biloela family. Yeah. Which is untrue given he had sworn himself into all of these portfolios. <laughs> so he had actually misled, like the Greens are claiming that he misled Parliament at that yeah. time. Uh, but the Speaker declined to refer him to the Privileges Committee, so that motion failed. They said there wasn't enough evidence that the former Prime Minister deliberately misled the House. So it seems like they, want to get, they wanted to give him a whack but only when Labor's leading it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, let's. I would say let's <laughs> right, move on. Next. People are saying he'll like he might leave Parliament after the New South Wales state election or something. He might go back to the church, according to oh, James really? Campbell, Conservative commentator. Oh yeah, you reckon he could get a well paid position in the church? I guess so. Surely, they have. Surely, surely there's a lot of lot of cash slushed around there. Yeah. Even though it's harder for a richer man to get into heaven than a camel to enter the eye of the needle or whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, just get out, bitch. Retire, please. Yeah, retire, bitch. This old man, he paid one. He paid knick-knack on my drum with a knick-knack. Buy your ass, give another one. This old man came rolling home. Next, actually, yeah. So then it was the NAC, National Anti-Corruption Commission. We know it as an ICAC. We've made bloody, like, cakes that say ICAC now. We had built a whole fucking brand around ICAC and then they had to change the name to the National Anti-Corruption Commission. But it's good. It passed. It has passed. We now have one. We have an ICAC finally. And so everything's going to be fixed, right, Tom? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think like the way to fix all systemic corruption and the influence of big money in politics is to just very slowly through a bureaucratic pro- process go after individual cases. No more corruption. Win. I mean, this is such a classic case of the Greens. It's such a frustrating, typical Greens thing where we fight for something for literally like 10 years and then I don't even know if we have ownership of this now. Like it passes, obviously it's a Labor government that's passed it based on an election commitment and all of the reporting for the last few years has been about the independents who have been pushing for this and this was one of the main things that the Teals campaigned on. It was like gender, climate, ICAC, you know, integrity. And now it's happened and we were only even able to make like one tiny improvement to the bill. So I think that Mm. it's absolutely true that this wouldn't have happened without Greens pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it for fucking years, Mm. but it doesn't feel that way now. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, what are you going to do? If you Do we want credit or do we want the thing to happen? Um, always yeah. an eternal debate between the two. I mean, yes, as we've talked about, you know, the Greens taking credit for things, but it's also very true that we don't get credit for the stuff that we do do. Yeah. Hey, what are you going to do? Well, and even, yeah, but it's, it, I mean, the question, and I have to confess, like, I'm not deep in, deeply across the knack and the bill that has actually passed. The sense that I get is, although it is being celebrated as a win, because now we have a federal anti-corruption commission and that's a good thing, it mm. really is quite weak. It's not what we wanted. Um, mm. So it, like, it, you know, it can hold these secret hearings, the crossbench amendments that would have covered, fully covered non-government actors and pork barreling and ensure there was bipartisan support for picking a commissioner all failed. And crucially, the thing, one of the key things that the Greens and I think probably also the crossbench were pushing on 
around, yeah, lowering that threshold for public hearings if it's in the public interest, unfortunately failed. So now it can have, it's just going to have like secret hearings. And yeah, I don't know, like, it, I don't know. I don't know. We were able to, so the Greens amendments that did succeed, the inspector of the NAC, I didn't realize this is, yeah, looking into this, I'm like, okay, so there's a anti, there's a National Anti-Corruption Commission with a commissioner and then there's an inspector and the inspector can then inspect the commission to see if the commission is misusing its own powers. So you've got to have, oh. then it's like, who commissions the inspector? You know what I mean? <laughs> Who inspects the commission that's doing a review into the Royal Commission? Who inspects the inspector of the commission to commission it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're the police, who will police the police? Oh, Coast Guard. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the, the idea was that you would need a supermajority to appoint this. This in, Was that for the inspector role or for the commissioner? It was the inspector and the commissioner both. Yeah, right. Okay. And so some people are saying, why would you want to give the coalition a chance to appoint the person? You go, motherfuckers, no. The governments are the ones doing the corruption, so maybe they shouldn't have the final say on exactly who's looking into corruption all over the place. Maybe yes. that should actually be – You could actually. That's, that's a case where you can actually imagine some kind of boring bipartisan lawyer type who could actually take on that role, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, so this is – yeah, this was kind of the crucial thing as well where it seems like we kind of failed. Yeah. Uh, so on Monday the Greens, as it was reported, threatened to side, like to vote for, to support Liberal amendments, which would have required at least a three-quarters majority of the members of this joint parliamentary oversight committee to appoint the commissioner and the inspector of the NAC. That's not necessarily what we actually wanted. So what we wanted was a non-government chair of the committee so that the government didn't have complete control but also the opposition doesn't have a veto. Mm. It seemed like it seemed like Labor wouldn't support that and so we thought, well, if we need to support the the Liberal amendments, that is better than nothing to allow the Mm. the supermajority. It's better than complete government control. And this is totally normal. Like when I think about so Queensland Parliament, because we don't have an upper house, we have a bunch of committees. Mm. We have like a parliamentary integrity committee and that is the only committee of Queensland Parliament that's got a non-government chair. So it would that's like a normal thing to do, but Labor was yeah. like, uh-uh-uh. And then the messaging from Labor was like, A, you love the Libs, you're going to team up with the Libs, you're going to vote for the Libs, mm. and B, because you want the Libs to be able to block an, a knack. And like they're saying, oh, you're going you're gonna to block the creation of a National Anti-Corruption Commission or like the beginning of an investigation by allowing this. And it's like, do you understand how corruption works? Like usually it's conducted by the executive who have Mm. the power to misuse public funds. That's like the most common example of corruption. Obviously it happens with with crossbench and and with opposition members as well, but it's like Mm. you want to be able to hold the government of the day to account. And so if only the government can decide whether the government is investigated, problem. That could be a problem. Labor being unable to possibly imagine a future in which they're not in government at any point and it might backfire on them, yeah. Yeah. And like it seems like everyone kind of had a different idea as to how to deal with this, right? So then we've got Allegra Spender, the independent in the lower house, proposing that the chair's vote shouldn't count for those appointments of the people so the government would need one more non-government vote. Uh Uh, While Helen Haynes says we need a two-thirds majority, everyone's kind of like, we need something Mm. And ultimately, we moved amendments with Pocock to require a simple majority of the committee, but failed and passed it anyway. So, like, days after we were like, 
no, we're we're holding out on this. We mm. you could say we knacked down. It was a knack down. <laughs> you could say that if you really wanted to, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the Guardian said knack flip. We knack flipped. Oh yeah. oh yeah, that's yeah, I guess so. Do you think this is a, do you think it's a knack flip? A knack down? Well, yeah, it's, it sounds like it. I mean, again, you know, we've talked about it before and, and I, John O'Shree mentioned this on our last live episode. He's like, you know, we've got to be able to draw lines on stuff and actually hold the line. And if we say we're not, yeah, we got to, we demand something to happen and then it doesn't and then we just fold anyway, then that's a real shame. Whether this is an extremely technocratic um, particular sticking point is, is probably a decent point to make and whether it's like the fight or a hill that we especially want to die on on this front, mm. um, particularly as we have invested political capital and a lot of campaigning into getting a commission. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that some would argue that finally we're actually being good negotiators and coming to this in good faith and mm. getting things done. I don't know because, like, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, right? Like, I don't know what negotiations happened and how the federal greens were able to come to the decision that they had to support this bill like and that you know if they didn't back down they would be seen as obstructionists or they would lose a lot more who knows but ultimately Mm. it passes in this form that's like it's you know a little bit better than it might have been because the inspector of the NAC can then look into the misuse of its own powers that was the amendment that the greens secured but it it's got these secret hearings and a lot of other things that that aren't included. So, I mean, yeah, just generally, like, I've never really been convinced that a federal anti-corruption commission is going to do that much because the corruption, as I see it, that is most harmful to our democracy is the stuff that's totally legal. It's totally legal, legal for companies yeah. to take these massive corporate donations to just, you know, walk into a lobbying job a few years after they've been in parliament um, Mm. to have these like cash for access meetings and just generally to prioritize the interests of of business and capital over ordinary people in every single way that they can um, to come Mm. from these long lineages of fucking, you know, political families and it's all just mates for mates, like all of that. I'm like, well, that's corruption, but it's legal. And and NAC is not going to be able to do anything about that. So in brutal political terms, we could probably say that, oh, you know, it, it, it clearly isn't perfect. It might have these shortcomings. But I suppose the National Anti-Corruption Commission is going to be good for the Greens in terms of, like, mm, the people it's going to be looking at are almost yeah. certainly going to be coming from the major parties. So, um, yeah, Because they're the point. ones with way more money and obviously have their hands closed to the levers of power. So, you know, we might come out of it looking at these sort of internal squabbling stories about the Greens will pale in comparison, hopefully. To the real serious shit that's going down. Daryl Maguire, I think, just got charged with with something. The guy from New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian's ex-boyfriend, is actually yeah Mm -hmm. facing some serious criminal charges finally after his very blatant and awful property corruption. So stuff like that, you know, if we again want to reiterate to folks and campaign on the idea that the old two-party system sucks and they're corrupt Mm -hmm. and we need to do politics differently, then maybe even the the good that comes out of this will be will be good for us anyway. We'll see. We'll see. What sound can you And then Parliament, it's almost done. They're like, shit, we've got so much to do. In the early hours of Friday morning, they managed to pass their IR bill. So they had like a late sitting on Thursday night and it passed through in, in the Senate. I think was there was a lot of time spent and then it came back to the House and was and was passed. Um, 
If folks, yeah, I think we won't go too much into the detail of the bill. If you want to know more about the bill and you haven't already listened to episode 50 with Josh from RAFWO, where we talked a lot more about what the bill actually does and the problems with it. But in short, it does a lot of good things. It bans pay secrecy clauses, abolishes the ABCC, the Australian Building and Corruption Commission, which is basically just like a union busting. Um, Construction. Sorry. You said corruption. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway. The Australian Building Corruption Commission. Corruption Commission. Construction Commission. The Liberal Party. The Liberal. Yeah, can we abolish the Liberal Party? That was an amendment (laughs) that we moved that did not pass. Uh, It adds gender pay equity as an objective to the Fair Work Act. It prevents employers from unreasonably refusing flexible work requests from staff who are balancing caring duties. It limits kind of um, consecutive contracts being offered. So you can only offer two in a row to avoid just doing all these short-term contracts instead of offering a permanent position. And the big thing that it does is it allows for multi-employer bargaining so unions can negotiate across businesses within an industry unless you have fewer than 20 employees. Mm. Um, And do you know, Tom, I I saw a reference to businesses with fewer than 50 employees. There are extra restrictions as well, but I don't know what those are. Do you know? Yeah, my understanding is that up until 50 employees, the onus is on the union to prove this common interest stream, right? So okay. the onus is on those workers to, to convince the Fair Work Commission that, yes, the the workers across these businesses with with, um, with fewer than 50 employees, they have to say, they have to make the case as to why the multi-employee bargaining should go on. Over 50 employees, the onus is reversed upon the business. If the business doesn't want to be involved in those multi-employer uh, bargaining negotiations, the Fair Work Commission will... The onus, we'll, we'll expect the onus on those businesses to prove um, yep. why that's the case. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so, look, multi-employer bargaining is that's it's good. There's a lot of good stuff in the bill. The big player, the star of the show with this bill <laughs> was Mr. Mr. Hot Boots himself, Mr. David Pocock, who <laughs> was cheekily holding out for weeks, if not months, like negotiating with the government and everyone's like, what's he going to do? I initially, yeah, I assumed that he was going to, he was trying to do something good, but it turns out actually he was trying to do some neoliberal shit. And so yeah. he was able to get the government to change, like to change that small business threshold from 15 employees to 20. So bigger mm-hmm. businesses will be excluded from multi-employer bargaining provisions. He announced this last weekend. He tweeted, I've got a commitment from the PM to establish a new independent economic inclusion advisory committee to review the adequacy of social security support payments every year before the federal budget and publish their recommendations. So he's saying in exchange for these concessions that I've got on the IR bill, I've been Mm -hmm. able to get this thing where they review social security payments, job seeker, et cetera, before a budget and see maybe if they should raise them. And everyone's like, oh, my God, he did it. King. Is he in fact king, Tom? He's not king. No, the king is dead. <laughs> um, inc- incredible, right? I mean, look, I don't know. Best case scenario, the best pitch you could say for this is like Labor will use this inclusion committee to release a report and will use that as an excuse to potentially mm-hmm. raise a job seeker payment. Okay, that's that's like the best version because of it. Because they so need some, yeah. They need some excuse like, oh, there's some new data here that keeping people in poverty is bad. We've had our minds blown. We can't believe it. Look look at this chart. It's incredible. (laughs) So, you know, in the most cynical political terms, you could say, all right, that could be a way forward to a better world post-budget. 
I think it could be very, you'd be very naive to think that that's, exa- that's exactly what's going to happen. Huge frustration, I think, from uh, poverty activists and people who are campaigning on this stuff, particularly the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, for example. ACOS celebrated as a victory. They think it's great, which was a little bit odd. But of course, we know all this. We know the payments are too low. David Pocock himself says the payments are too low. Everyone Stop. knows it's too low. We know data. that there is like some common, yes, no more data. We commonly agreed ideas about what the poverty line is and people giving people below the poverty is really, really bad. It's not an independent committee either because it's it's like appointed by the fucking treasurer and the social services minister so it's not independent at all that's that was a very bizarre move and it comes out two weeks before the budget which i saw quite a few commentators saying that the budget will be pretty much decided by that anyway it is bizarre but the best part is they already fucking do this like (laughs) (laughs) they already obviously review so okay First of all, the response from the Greens, so Senator Janet Rice tweeted, the Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee could be great if it leads to meaningful change, but we know how Labor likes to use reviews to delay real action. And she pointed out that Labor has already continually voted down increases to social security payments as moved by the Greens. Yeah. And already, though, anti-poverty activists, people like the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, were saying, don't they already do this? And sure enough, within days, Albanese comes out (laughs) and he goes... Yeah, well, yeah, of of course we've had those negotiations with Pocock because we consider raising the rates every budget in the current economic context. And we absolutely, really? every budget, we look at how we could con- like support people better in the current economic context, in the context of which we are cutting taxes on super wealthy people to the tune yes. of $250 billion. If you, still, if you still prioritize inflation, if you want to subscribe to the lie that raising job seeker would fuel inflation, okay, which is exactly the line of argument that Jim Chalmers was running ahead of the mini budget. If you still believe that and inflation isn't low enough for you, next time the budget comes around in May, guess what? Sorry, poor people. More poverty for you. Yeah, we reviewed it though. We did. We thought about it. Oh, we reviewed it so good. We did so much review. And we decided no. So, yeah, thanks for that. My question is, is this like naivete from Mr. Hot Dave Pocock or... Is he just playing politics to make it look like he is getting these wins and working for his constituency and what people want to see? I think David Pocock generally wants job seeker to be increased. All right, mm-hmm. let's I'd take him on good faith on that front. I think that he definitely would have made the negotiations to the Labor Party saying, hey, you've got to give me something here. You've got to give me a win. He may very well sincerely believe that this is the, this is the good first step. And, and I suppose if you've got someone like ACOS backing you in, that's not a reasonable <laughs> yeah. like, assumption to make, I suppose. But fucking hell, man, come on. Yeah. Like, like what you've got, you yes, you could, if you're interested in that kind of campaign and actually getting fucking results and pushing the, the government, you should be talking to the Greens, man. We should no, be working as a so collective. Hot. Don't call <laughs> bullshit, ha-ha. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Greens, meanwhile, I tweeted about this maybe last week or the week before or something and I was like what are the Greens doing on the IR bill because I started being Mm. like what the fuck is happening I was not hearing anything from them they just were kind of like vaguely being like yeah we're still considering it and I'm like surely there are negotiations happening behind the scenes Mm. ultimately we did get some pretty significant wins like we were able to negotiate the government supported our amendments to give parents an enforceable right to request unpaid parental leave and perhaps most significantly we saved the boot. So this is, again, yeah. something we spoke a lot with Josh from RAFU um, on episode 50 about the better off overall test. 
The government's bill originally would have excluded prospective or future employees from the better off overall test when the Fair Work Commission is considering enterprise agreements. They wouldn't have had to consider how this would impact future employees. So the example that Josh gave is, you know, a business could be like, oh, we don't have any casual employees right now. We don't have any any casual employees who work over those particular hours, work over weekends, whatever. Mm. Uh, And they'll apply an agreement based on that. And then they'll just hire people on those new conditions and fuck them over because they aren't required to ensure that those future employees are better off overall under this new agreement. So Mm. the Greens were able to say, no, that is not happening anymore. Prospective and future employees will be included in the boot. And yeah, this is this is a massive win. Raf we fought really hard for it. Apparently, I don't know if you heard as well. I read a Guardian article about how Michaelia Cash just like filibustered the shit out of this bill, and apparently was just going back and forth in the Senate for like nine plus hours. Jesus uh, Christ! And kind of you know asking questions of the government. Apparently, she gets unlimited time to do this in the Senate. And was arguing with the Greens. She even read out our media release about the boot. <laughs> And was having a whinge about it. So, you know, you know, that's how you know that we've actually made a difference here. <laughs> and sure, like, yeah, we had a media release being like, this is good. We, I saw some tweets about it, but like, it just seemed really, it, it seemed to kind of disappear into the mist. And I just, I, I genuinely don't know whether this is a case of a missed opportunity from the Greens to really prove our chops on mm workers' rights, something that we are very strong on and yet we don't get any recognition for, or it's the thing that I'm doing the thing that I always hate when people do when they're like, why didn't you try and get more media about this? Why aren't you more noisy about this? And we're like, we fucking were, but because everyone just sees like Labor is synonymous with unions and doesn't realise that actually we're the best party for workers and also just the media just generally ignores us. Yeah, Yeah, like no one fucking paid any attention. Like do, do you have a sense of which of those it might be? Maybe it's somewhere in between. I don't know. I, I'm still confused. Is Adam the spokesperson for industrial relations still? And I think rights? he is. Who, do, who and else might be? Barbara Pocock plays a role oh, no, of, some, right. of some kind. Maybe it's Barbara Pocock. Maybe she is. I think yeah. she, I think Adam's still got IR off the top of my head, I, th- I believe. Oh, but what's, I, I what's could Barbara very well be wrong. Got? She's got something like, like IR. Yeah, something else like that along those mm-hmm. lines. Um, Adam did get COVID in amongst all this, I think, and yes, so I saw some people sort of saying true. that would be a factor that might take him out of the ring. But I, I totally agree with you. I think that, again, if you look at the policy on the right to strike and workers' rights in the Greens policy document, which, of course, nobody but nerds like us do, it's, it's extraordinary about, you know, just how much more, how much stronger we are and how much more rooted we are in an actual idea of, of workers' democracy and workers' rights than the even goddamn Labor Party, for fuck's sake. So, yeah, we absolutely should be making a lot of noise about this and, and cutting through where, wherever we can. You know, I, I don't know, would we do a press conference with Rafu? Was that something Rafu would do? I, I don't even know. But Yeah, um, who knows? Yeah, I... telling that story is, would be a good thing to see, yeah. Yeah, like, and I just think, yeah, I've seen a lot more social media content. I've seen, I've seen emails out to to members and supporters. I've seen a lot more media about the NAC, for example, where we weren't able to secure as significant amendments or wins than I have about this IR bill. So mm. anyway, I mean, it's a good way to to finish the week. I'm glad that we got those wins. But it just, yeah, like when are we going? When are you going to become the fucking workers' party? Because we are, <laughs> we are, we are. It's us. Pay attention. 
On those greens, uh, you know how we talked about Stockholm syndrome, and we feel like we're, you know, we're captive of of Dan and and his cult. Well, the greens are now surrounding the CBD. It looks like they're going to get Richmond. Uh, they they've got the city of Melbourne itself. They've got Pran, uh, and they've got out in Brunswick. So, I mean, God help, they're they're closing in on us. Adam Bant and his merry band of green people are coming to get us. Imagine what's going to happen uh, with all of those people in the parliament. Here. On the weekend, specifically on my 33rd birthday, I don't know if I've mentioned that on the show, but um, no. Victoria went to the polls, re-elected the Andrews Labor government for a third term, and they also voted in a green slide in Greens Toria. Isn't that right, Emerald? That's what I've heard. It's what I've heard from <laughs> you, Tom. <laughs> well, you also heard it from the leader of the Greens. I think it's fair to say, across the board, we all got a little bit excited on election night. No. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Party leader Samantha Ratnam declared the result a green slide. Deputy leader Ellen Sandell, the member for Melbourne, told the ABC's election panel the the vote amounted to a green wave. Well, tonight, my friends, I'm so proud to be up here to tell you all about the green slide continues in Victoria, Ratnam told cheering supporters. It's clear the Greens are on the rise and we are a force to be reckoned with. Now, this is insane to me. These are seats Labor has taken for granted for far too long. No matter how many seats we end up with tonight, this is a green slide. I love that. That's almost like yeah, you said the you said the briefing notes out loud. <laughs> like whatever happens, this is a fucking green slide, all right? Yeah. I saw you. T- what was your tweet about some political leaders exaggerating their results for their own advantage? Was that- I tweeted something like, "Wow, you're telling me these politicians are inflating their successes yes. for political purposes," which could probably have been taken as specifically directed at the Greens, but it was actually more because I thought it was hilarious how that's just, to me, the Victorian election was just everyone saying how well they'd done when no one had actually done that well at all. <laughs> like, yeah, Labor's like, this vindicates our government. Like, this is, yeah, it goes to show everyone was wrong and everyone loves us and we're so fantastic. Yeah. And it's like, well, you vote, you didn't do that well, did you? Like, you kind of went backwards a little bit as I understand it. Mm. Um, and the Liberals even, you know, they're being questioned and they're like, do you see this as a, indictment of your failures <laughs> and are you going to change leaders and they're like we're really proud of what we've done we've done quite well and i think that we've done this and like you know the teals are all celebrating the green say it's a green slide and it's like well one of you is lying or all of you well i think it's nice that we have elections where everybody wins i think that's a good thing to have it's it's lovely but it also just goes to show that yeah like Politics, so much of politics, especially with the way that the media reacts to power stories and power messaging from Mm. um, politicians has just become about, yeah, acting as though you're the winner, acting as though things are going really well because it it makes you stronger. It's like a fake it till you make it type thing. And so, yeah, everyone's just doing power messaging and it's quite funny. I would say say since then, in the the following week or the last week, uh, there's been a lot of liberals despair and people going to the media and saying right. we are truly fucked and we need to change everything so yeah but i think I it's think true that, that like subspeeding. if you, you when you're preparing to do media on election night it's fucking mm. like really the only good approach is like stay positive no matter what 
like I think even if you're losing, yes, yeah, stay positive. We ran a great campaign, blah, blah, yep. blah. There's not really much else that anyone can do, but it's just, yeah. So then people being like, the Greens actually didn't do that well or, you know, why are they saying that they did well? And it's like, well, because that's how you do politics on election night, you know? I love the election coverage to cut to someone at their camp, their election night party and they're looking furious and go, this is fucked. And then oh. turn around to all their volunteers and say, I blame yeah. all of you for yeah, not yeah, working exactly. hard enough. <laughs> I mean, I will say like, but it, it does make for some funny content. I assume that it was Richmond where there was the, the Labor candidate who lost mm. and I just was watching when they cut to did a live cross to her in front like at their party and she's just got this smile like plastered on her face but her eyes are just like <laughs> she really looks like she's about to cry and she's like honestly I'm just so happy you know it's the mood's good because we've elected a Dan Andrews government a Labor <laughs> government and it's like oh maybe you lost uh, the Terry Butler approach it is yeah anyway I love it all right, very quickly, these are the results as of Friday, December the 2nd. It's about 73% of the vote has been counted. Obviously, Labor Party returned. They needed 45 seats to hang on to government. They've definitely won 52, may get up to 55, potentially crazy. even more than that. So it is yeah. crazy their vote went down, but, of course, they've actually increased the number of seats they have, which is bonkers. They suffered a 6% swing against their primary vote and a 3.5% swing against them in the two-party preferred. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I, you know, we, we can discuss it further, but certainly from Labor's point of view, they're extremely fucking happy with themselves. And, How many um, seats did they have before? They had 55. 55. Right, yes. right, okay. Yep. So even if they hang on to the same number of seats, yes, mm. you would say it's, it's that is pretty remarkable really when you think yep. about it. Um, the coalition had a 0.5% swing against their primary vote. It's, it's their lowest primary vote since the 1950s. Like, <laughs> they gained no net seats. It remained on just 17. The Nats had a small swing to their primary vote, picked up three seats. That's there are now more women in the national, Victorian National Party than men in, uh, in their uh, parliamentary party. Wow. Golf Queens. The major party vote, of course, continues to decline. They received 72% Labor in the coalition, 72% of the primary vote, uh, as opposed to 78% back in 2018. Wow. Those yeah. numbers just keep going down. It's massive. There was no teal wave. Yeah, however, didn't go to the teals. <laughs> Seems that way. Climate 200 backed four candidates. Looks like they're not going to win any of them. Uh, they're going to lose to those Liberal MPs. In fact, the number of independents in the parliament are, are going from three down to zero in the new Victorian so parliament, it seems. the three... Were any of the three teals or like no. notional teals? Right. No, because okay. they were, yeah, win, winners from 2018. Yeah, but most yeah. of them, I think two of them are country independents that nationals beat to oh, win okay. back those seats. There you go. I thought, yeah, because I remember there was one presser on the night of some teal who was like acting all excited. Did they think they were going to win one, but they didn't? Oh, look, on the night, it, yeah, some of them looked a lot better. You know, Hawthorne right. particularly, which is that uh, the one that sits within Kuyong. Um, where John Pizzuto lost last time, but it looks like he's going to come back and is now tipping to take over the leadership, the poison chalice of the Victoria Liberal Party. So we'll see how that works out. But, yeah, it looks like uh, none of those independents are going to get up. Cool. And what about us? The us, the, the Greens. That's us. We held all three of our lower house seats and we won the seat of Richmond. Uh, Gabrielle DiBietri, serious gap, danger. Yes, there Approved. you go. The, the bump <laughs> works again. Yes. Samantha Ratnam held a seat in the upper house. We've definitely picked up Southern Metros. That's one more and probably one more. We're probably going to have three all up for a total of seven green reps. So we're going from four reps in total to seven. It's pretty good. Statewide, you got a 0.2% swing to us on the primary vote to a total statewide vote of 10.9%. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll do some more good news and then we'll get into the bad stuff. And I don't want to be a party pooper here. And, again, love and shout-out and solidarity to all the volunteers and everyone who did everything. You're all amazing. All this comes from a place of love and a desire to see the Greens do better in the future. 
The Greens increased their primary vote in pretty much in, in the seats that we held in Brunswick by 1%, in Paran by 9.3%. I think part of that is a redistribution, but still a testament to Sam Hibbins, who did very well. A tiny swing against Ellen Sandell, the sitting member in Melbourne, but an 8.4% on the two-party preferred. Brunswick had a two-party preferred, yes, positive yeah. swing, rather, yes, um, of, of yeah, about 8.5% in, Brun- in Melbourne and 11% in Brunswick, for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. In Richmond, where we won, we got a small swing to our primary vote. On the two-party preferred, it was a 12.9% swing to the Greens. So after preferences and stuff, that's a pretty pretty big one. Mm-hmm. Labor's primary vote in the seat of Richmond took a hit of 11%. Probably that's a really weird one because the Liberals didn't run a candidate in 2018, so now you suddenly had a Liberals candidate, and so he gets yeah. a swing of 18% because they're coming from a base of zero. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, Albert Park, there was a 4.2% swing to the party with a primary vote of 20%, you know, finishing third. That, that's a pretty, that's a very decent swing and testament yeah. to that work, but obviously it wasn't quite enough this time around. And in the seat of Footscray, the seat in which Tom Ballard lives, Great. 2.1% swing in the primary vote, 13.8% swing to the Greens on the two-party preferred. Oh, the yeah. sitting Labor MP, Katie Hall, has, had a, suffered an 11% swing against her primary vote. And that's the place where the Victorian Socialists got almost 10%. There is a Victorian yeah. Socialist councillor in um, Maribyrnong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, Jorge, they're quite popular and they were h- hitting that particular seat pretty hard. And it should be said that, that you know, Footscray was not considered a pri- priority seat or a target seat by state office. So mm. that's and that was pretty where, wild. Yeah, I just at the start, Anthony Green on ABC coverage was like, well, obviously that's going to change when he saw the high Victorian socialist vote like sitting above, above 10%. He's like, well, you know, that's there's obviously it's just only counts. So because right. you, know, you can tell because the Victorian socialist vote. And then as it stayed, he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have, uh, you know, discounted them so soon. Wait a minute. And look, at the v- Footscray or the Western Greens victory party, I think 1.2% of the vote had been counted, counted and our candidate, Aleta Pereira, was in front and we were all getting very excited. <laughs> and she was looking stunned and she's like, oh, my God, I'm going to Spring Street. Aww. And then that was that was not the case. I don't think she was totally prepared to win either. So I think she's, yeah, she's probably breathing no, a slight sigh of relief. Similar, so. yeah, yeah. Reminds <laughs> me of Cooper in 2020 in the right. Queensland election. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, the other good news is, yes, with the upper house, uh, so you've got 15 Labor, 15 Coalition, and you've got this cross-branch, three Greens, three legalised cannabis that upper house something. MPs, which is really something. And you would you would assume that the Greens, legalised cannabis, and the one animal justice upper house member should be able to work together to do some cool progressive stuff. They'll be up against uh, one Shooters and Fishers uh, councillor, one One Nation councillor, and one councillor from the DLP who is Adam fucking Somurek, that, that absolutely wild. insane and crook. As I understand it, Adam Somurek has effectively taken Fiona Patton from the Reasons Party's seat, which is yes. wild to me. I genuinely thought that Fiona Patton would have been quite popular. Maybe she got she fucked isn't. by preferences flows or something. But yes, well, the group voting ticket is absolutely responsible for this. I mean, again, you know, I bet the legalized cannabis guy—he's a nice guy. I'm sure there's lots of stuff we agree on. But the Greens got more got more votes than them, and yet, and yet we don't get the seat. So the system fucks people over. The fact that the Democratic Labor Party does confuse people, just like the Liberal yeah. Democrats gets votes yeah. when people think they're voting for the Liberals. Adam Somirak, I guess, has – you would think he would have name recognition in a bad way, but apparently not. You would think so. I cannot yes. believe that a man like, yeah, whose name to me is synonymous with Victorian political corruption <laughs> yes. uh, would win, but go off. He went very hard against Dan Andrews, so I guess maybe if you're a liberal a Labor voter who wants, who hates Dan Andrews, then okay. maybe. Sure, like that's him. a niche. Yeah. 
Okay, here's the bad news. Our primary vote was up on 2018, but it was less, it was lower than what we got in 2018, in 2010 rather, at 11%, and 2014 was the high watermark for Victorian Greens with 11.5%. So we're still a little bit behind there. Mm. The field campaign wasn't as strong, I guess, as you would like it to be or as it could have been. State officers said we knocked on 50,000 doors. Victorian socialists are talking about 130,000 doors knocked. So the field campaign wasn't there. Again, yeah. all my Footscray comrades are great people. People were working really hard and around the clock to, you know, do to do all the basics, to letterbox, to get um, uh, placards up, and to, you know, to make sure that there was someone on all the polling booths. But I think we did maybe three or four door knocks in total. I didn't do any of them. It, it, you know, this is, this is coming from who the fuck am I? But well, uh, I didn't do any of them either. I but guess, it just yeah. that, those campaigns just simply weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Northgate is very weird. So Northgate, we came close to winning, kind of, even though we lost 10% of our primary vote. I really don't know how that works. I'm sure someone can correct me on exactly how that works in Northgate. But, yeah, there was a 0.5% swing to the Greens on the two-party preferred. The Labor vote remained the same. 6.5% went to the Victorian Socialists and 1.4% to Liberals. So if anyone can explain to me how the fuck that works, I don't know. Did we get Lib's preferences in this seat? Yes. So what? We got... So there was a 6.7% swing to Victorian socialists mm. and a swing to liberals and we got liberal preferences. So I'd yep. say that's how we could have come close to winning with right. a 10% that. swing against us. Sure, um, yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there is some some real soul searching going on. And have we have we mentioned yet that we're going to talk on, we're going to do a separate Patreon episode chatting with Daniel Lopez from Victorian socialists about their role yes. in the election because obviously this is one where that's significant that's played a significant role but it's like yeah 10 percent swing against the greens in 2022 what happened i don't know what that is and then again remember this is the seat that lydia thorpe did previously hold so it's one that the greens mm. have had before it's yes um, so it's been very high so obviously it's it's got to come down from being high but like i guess so I don't know. yes something's funky's going on there yeah. So, uh, yes, look, Liberals preferencing the Greens over Labor, we have to admit that would have played a very big role in, and certainly did help the party across the board. Like that's definitely playing a factor um, in, in some of these victories. Um, Daniel Andrews said, no member of my team is going to be sitting in the parliament as a result of Liberal Party preferences. Fuck you, man. Well, uh, But yeah. there you go. So, and mm. we should be realistic about the fact that, yeah, that's probably not going to happen again. That was quite an extraordinary move from the Victorian Liberals. They said, oh, the Greens are bad, but Labor's worse. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I don't can't see them doing that again in 2026. Yeah, I mean, obviously my, like, my Queensland brain, the way that I interpret everything that's happened in the Victorian state election, I do a lot of comparing. Yes. Um, but the, the Liberal preferences thing is interesting to me for folks who don't know in 2020, when Amy McMahon won the seat of South Brisbane off the former Deputy Premier Jackie Trad, I think she would not have won. Well, we don't know if she would have won if the Liberals mm. hadn't decided to put the Greens above Labor on their how to vote cards because they were like, Jackie Trad is so bad, she's so corrupt, we're putting the Greens um, above Labor on our, on our how to vote cards. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like the effect of that is twofold because now Amy Every time she's in the chamber has to deal with, you know, it's kind of quietened down now, but at least for the first year or two, Labor MPs just constantly yelling at her that she's only there because of liberal preferences and she did a deal with the libs and, you know, at least we're not here on the back of liberal preferences, blah, 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 which obviously, <laughs> like, we did not do a fucking deal with the liberals. We put Labor above liberals 
on our how to vote cards as we always do and yes. whatever the yelling people want to do is fucking matter for them mm. and ran a bloody incredible campaign and got a massive swing to her it was but it was a very marginal seat and like she now yeah has to work the it means that like her seat is certainly not assured at the next state mm. election in Queensland because as you say like they're not going to do that twice they're not going to direct preferences to the greens again mm. in south brisbane and so, yeah, now she has to kind of like prove that she can win that seat without those references. But I do think it's true, and I was saying this to someone, that it's like we know generally for the Greens we get an incumbency boost and so if we could just get a fucking like get a foot in the door, <laughs> get in there and prove that we can be good representatives and that we can even that we can be represented, that we can win, mm. build up that name recognition, then we can, yeah, get a big swing and, and uh, stay in there. Yeah. Uh, rest assured, there were terrible takes on the results, uh, one in particular from Van Battam about how uh, all the votes going to the Greens are coming from former Liberal voters, not Labor voters, and it's just because they're all rich and uh, people are getting gentrified and that's why uh, the Labor is losing these seats to the Greens. Um, we don't have time to go into exactly why that's wrong and fucked up, but rest assured but that it, it is. Well, it is funny, though, that it's either when, yeah, when we take votes from Labor, we're bad mm. because we're only targeting Labor seats and we're stealing yes. Labor votes. And then when we target Liberal votes, then it's because we're three Tories. So. Of course. Okay. It's also especially great because you talk about gentrification and how people have been priced out of Collingwood. Now, Collingwood sits oh. in the seat of Richmond, which was represented by the Labor the housing, housing Minister for a fucking decade. <laughs> So, Priced out. Who's pushing for a fucking cap on rent increases? <laughs> Post your L's. Okay, we're running out of time. We don't want to go too long. But um, And, again, if people want to check out and join the Patreon to hear this conversation when we go into deep, specifically about the relationship between Victorian mm -hmm. socialists and the Greens and where we see that's going. But to me, some big takeaways from the Victorian results. And, once again, congratulations to everybody who does anything ever, even the weirdos for the weird parties. I don't know. I've met a bunch of people and I'm like, God, it's, it is kind of – somewhat heartwarming that the entire democracy is propped up by these weirdos who are prepared to get a good time and money into fighting for what they believe and I have a level of respect for that. Not the Nazis, but okay. Yeah. Well, not the Nazis. No, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. That's yeah. <laughs> asterisk, not the Nazis. Um, <laughs> the, there is a lesson for the Labor Party here too. You can be progressive and win, okay? Got mm. a lot of problems with the Andrews Labor government, but fucking hell, they went on a policy of bringing – the electricity grid into public ownership or establishing a publicly owned uh, electricity company. Um, you know, they've made all the right noises when it comes to climate. They've done good stuff. They're building things, free education, tertiary education for certain people. I thought this was good. This is from the ABC analysis. Questions of integrity and the Premier's popularity dominated the hostile campaign period, but Labor stuck to its policy guns. It went directly to voters and worried less about the media. Fucking cool. Great. Yeah. I mean, I will say, like, I don't quite understand all of the takes that are like, Dan defied media critics and, like, shot down all these suggestions that he was going to fail. And I'm like, honestly, I think apart from fucking Sky News and maybe some, some other News Corp bullshit, it's like well, everyone knew that he was going to win. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. really think there was this strong media narrative suggesting that Dan was, was on the lamb and, or, you know, was on, what's the word? On the ropes. Yeah, maybe that, but he was that it was on the way out. No one actually believed that. Well, no, look, the Herald Sun went extremely hard. There was some, there were some moments from the age too when they were like doing some pretty dodgy reporting as well, um, particularly mm -hmm. um, on on some fronts. I think you could definitely say that the Herald Sun went extremely hard. It was campaigning directly against the Andrews government. That's certainly true. Yeah. 
But regardless, it, but again, anything that exposes the Murdoch media or mainstream media is not nowhere near as powerful or as trusted as we're led to believe. Mm. And that if you fucking stand for something and run on good policies that are popular, uh, you can you can circumvent that stuff because yeah, people aren't that invested in doing what fucking Peter Credlin tells them to do. For God's sakes. Mm. And then finally, last little question quickly. I just, moving forward, and and there will be a review, obviously, and lots of people have their thoughts, and I'll think more about it too. But if it's a question of resources and allocation, I don't know. Do you you think it's really important that the Greens run in every single seat or in the future if we're really going to get serious about taking some of these seats, you know, redirecting resources and, and making real target seats a priority, even getting branches of the party outside of the seat that we're talking about to lend help and support? And, and solidarity and helping out is that is that a smart, smarter strategy? Do you think? Uh, I actually believe pretty like pretty firmly in running in every seat. Mm-hmm. I think that we, if we do genuinely want to be an alternative to the major parties and build a mass political movement, then we need to do that everywhere and and create the option for local communities to build a Greens movement and to, you know, vote for a a Green representative and Greens policies in their area. So I think we should have candidates in every seat. And in particular, I would say in Victoria, where you have an upper house, it's all the more important that you have um, campaigns in, in every seat across the state, right? But like, I also am definitely someone who believes that, yes, you should put your, your money and resources into the seats that are going to win. Whether that means sending volunteers to those seats from other seats, I still think that it's like, well, obviously there's a, still a lot of untapped capacity and and like human resources in those seats. We definitely don't have as many volunteers as we could. And so the emphasis should be on building up local capacity. Mm. And there are a bunch of ways to do that. For example, you know, like Griffith did where they split the electorate into different areas to try and really build up local neighborhood teams. But yeah, like money wise, I always, yeah, I'm like, we'll put your money where you, where you can, can win mm. while ensuring that you are giving other, you know, other branches and, and other campaigns, the resources and, and the training and support that they need to keep building the movement effectively. Yeah. Well, probably much more to be said about that in the years to come between now. I, get, I think mm-hmm. as there are um, local elections in 2024 is the next big thing in Victoria. But Same. again, congrats to all Victoria Greens members on the Green slide. It's Greens Toria. Congratulations, Green Toria. <laughs> <laughs> From a Greenslander to a Greentorian. Happy birthday. Thank you. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are red. You never know, dear, how much I love you. So please don't take my sunshine away. Call to action, y'all. We've got a big important one that everyone's going to tell you about, but very quickly relevant to our discussion on the Victorian state election and Greens Toria, the Greens slide. The state office in Victoria, if you're a Victoria Greens member or you're involved in the campaign and you want to help us reflect and evaluate how the campaign went, there's a little survey that has just gone up on the website that we would love you to fill out and let us know your experience and your thoughts and reflections. We'll put the link in the show notes if you volunteered or you're a member of the Victorian Greens Please help us out to make us uh, win government next time. That's a good idea. That's nice. We, uh, yeah, so another call to action for this week. We got contacted on Instagram by Harriet about this. Shout out, Harriet, for raising this one. So their friends, First Nations toddler, is currently facing or 
has faced deportation to Europe into the sole custody of her abusive father under the Hague Convention, which I hadn't, I didn't know what that was about, but apparently no. says that one parent can't take a child overseas without the other parent's consent. And it effectively just doesn't take account of abusive uh, relationships of domestic mm. and family violence because the the international convention kind of considers those like domestic conventions and so it's this weird international law thing but the federal government is looking at it apparently the attorney general has considered changing it is considering changing it a lot of people particularly women who have been impacted by this where yeah they have a kid with someone overseas and decide to flee an abusive relationship and then the abusive usually father will apply to return the child to to another country and so they've been kind of campaigning for domestic abuse to be considered in Australia's Family Law Act when applying this international treaty which sounds mm. pretty bloody reasonable to me yeah Jesus. Um, so there's a there's a link that we can put in the show notes herhagestory.com there's a like a take action link there and a form email where you can email attorney general mark dreyfus and you can also just email me yourself. I, I don't know, like I haven't looked at the form email too closely. I don't know if there are some demands in there, some demands around like ensuring that the person asking for the return of the child doesn't have any criminal history. I'm I'm not so, you know, sometimes it's like uh, that could be a little bit complicated, but usually with these forms you can edit them as you like. And I think that, yeah, considering domestic abuse at, at the very least in the law sounds extremely reasonable. So folks should go do that. Yeah, herhagstory.com. Again, links yeah. in the show notes. Please review our show, spread the word, uh, give us five stars. If, if you think that's appropriate, we'd appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter, which just goes from strength to strength at Serious Danger AU. We're on Instagram, TikTok as well, and subscribe yeah. to our YouTube channel too. We'd mm. appreciate that. You can email us anytime. Okay, Hello at seriousdangerpod.com. Yeah. Take us out with a song, everyone. Go. You are my sunshine, <laughs> my only. I should take it up a key like she does. You are my son. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> no good, I reckon. No? This is a serious danger, Australia.